episodes, you can also get Mark or Sean Brooks. Uh, after the lesson today, it's number 443. I would say there are a lot, but I think probably <clears throat> most of our comparative words that we use uh, require context. I'll give you an example. All right. Um, if this will work here. Yeah, here we go. More. All right. More is a word that we need to know what we're talking about. Because there are more of one, but, but, but if I'm talking about numerically or if I'm talking quantitatively, like, there are, there's obviously a difference. Greater is a, another uh, contrast, which we're going to be talking about a little bit. Um, first. First is something we need to, we need to, to know a little bit. Uh, first chronologically, first in order of importance. What, what, what's the order? Um, I was, uh, I remember in, when I was in college, I, I remember uh, it was a Christmas service and uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the Lord's Supper thought for that morning, the, the guy, I, I know he was, what he was trying to do, it's Christmas time, people expect, expect a Christmas thought, and, and he stood there and, and, and he said that the birth of Jesus was as important if not more important, because it had to happen in order for the death to happen. That was the logic. Well, <clears throat> it came first, that is true. But, but in God's mind, it did not come first because it was not more important. It, was, it clearly did not, the birth never saved a sin. It didn't do anything that the death didn't, uh, or we should even say the resurrection tied in with, with the death. Uh, th that celebration, right? we don't come here to celebrate the Lord's birth. Uh, one is clearly more important. Uh, one is first in God's mind, even if it's not first in order chronologically. Mark chapter uh, 12, verses 28 through 30, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with each other. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, what commandment is the most important? Some say the first. Matthew's account says the first and the greatest. Well, Jesus answered, the most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We went through our first series in, in, in this Season, I guess, or the, the year that we're going to be doing on getting closer to God. And, and we discussed some of those basic concepts, some of the basic elements of what is in a relationship that, that then apply to us getting closer to God. And, uh, and here he discusses love. In one word, love is, is, a, is a primary aspect. But we're going to talk about over the next month uh, this the, the, we're going to break this down into the individual components here of love. Love or, or affection is necessary. And we covered that a little bit uh, 
previously, what we want to look at is how exactly love looks. The intent of these sermons is to step away from the little cliches and and build a closer relationship with our Creator. And so uh, this is, as as we probably know, this statement is an ancient statement when when Jesus gives it. It's a, a statement taken from Deuteronomy. Now, I suppose that they were probably expecting a a statement from the law. Which one is the greatest commandment? And and they knew that they had him. This whole exercise was a contest between Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes and these different groups to try to see, try to gain popularity among the people by being the first one to to really trap Jesus in some type of an argument. and that way we would, we would gain the upper hand in this, you know, in the, the, the way these, uh, in, in amongst these different uh, rival groups. And so they were, you know, if he says murder, well, what about adultery? And, you know, there's all these different things that require capital punishment. How are you going to emphasize one? So, so which one is the, and so it's, you know, we, we talked about this morning when people try to come up with the, 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 the thing that God can't answer, you know. Can God make a rock that he can't lift? Those types of questions. And uh, God is pretty good at getting out of those questions. He's pretty logical. And, uh, and, and so here again, Jesus completely changes. He, he doesn't answer according to their expectations, which he never did. He, he goes to a completely different part of the law. He, he goes to, to something, in fact, it's not even the original giving of the law. He doesn't even quote the original giving of the law. He, he quotes... He quotes it in Deuteronomy. And he says, really, fundamentally, the greatest aspect is what's underneath all of those different commands. It's the one that ties them all together. It is the love of God. That's the the foundation for all of these things that that God wanted you to do or not do. And, and, And while we're there... I'm just going to add a little bit to it. It wasn't in your question, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give some supplementary information. There's another one, too. That's almost as important because it's the same basic idea. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to focus on the love of God, but, but we will notice, <clears throat> even as we go through today, that, that they have some of the same elements. And so... We want to look at the first way to love God. He says, with all my heart. And so we're going to look at the heart of love this morning. What is the heart? We first need to define that. What is the heart? Uh, We can oversimplify things, I think, sometimes. And not that this is inaccurate, but it's an oversimplification. In other words, it, it entails more than this. It's not limited, but it does include... The emotions. We, we typically think of the heart as the emotions, don't we? Well, that's accurate, but not completely. And I want to explore this. is maybe going to be a little gross for you this morning. Um, I want to look at where this comes from. Well, this won't be gross. Colossians chapter... Wait, that's not in there. Well, someone... I think I must have deleted the wrong slide. Well, we're going to go to... You might have, got, you might have lucked out. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, 
We'll see if it's in there and I put it in the wrong order. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12. <clears throat> he says, Bear with one another and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord... That is the wrong passage. Ah, no, no, okay, I'm sorry, that was verse 13. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You go, what's gross about that? Uh, Some say, the old King James, if you have that handy, will say bowels of mercy. Now, nothing about bowels makes me think of mercy. Uh, That's a gross idea. And, And so what some people say, well, in, in the old world, today, our heart is the center of our emotions. But back then, the bowels was the seat of the emotions, which is weird. And that's, that's partially true, but that's not exactly true. Um, I, I really hope this is in there. You have to count. There we go. I, I put them in the wrong order. There we go. Uh, the word bowels is, comes from the word that we get spleen from which even makes it sound more bizarre. Uh, it is, now their idea of anatomy was not that really, uh, not that detailed, we'll say that. And, uh, and so, so the spleen of mercy, that really sounds strange. That, that, that wouldn't really sound poetic, you know, you put that on a poster on, a nice you know, motivational poster on your, your wall or something, you know, in, in the church or something, that, that wouldn't do that. Um, so, so someone fortunately, you know, put on tender mercies or hearts of mercies, but, uh, but we have to understand exactly why, uh, why we think of the heart as being the seat of emotions. And that is because for them, the word splagnon, which is a, a gross word just to say it, but, or what we would say, spleen, wasn't a reference to our organ. It was what we would call the upper viscera, and that was anything inside of the rib cage. That was what they referred to as the bowels. See, bowels wasn't the lower intestines. That's, well, that case is a little bit better. Uh, but it was what we would call the vital organs, what, what was really important. And the heart was included in that. Uh, and so, yes, the heart was the seat of the emotions, not the stomach. Right? The stomach is not up in there. Uh, so we oversimplify things sometimes. We, and maybe that comes from, from wanting to be smarter. Oh, that's, that's really not the way it was, and we really know the truth. No, the truth is that the heart is a seat of emotions, but it's not limited to that, as we're going to see. Uh, it, it involves a little bit more than that. So I want to look at the heart in two ways. And first of all is what we'd call the passive heart. And this would include the emotions. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful.
And we see that emotions are here ruling. In other words, we, there's this passive thing happening. We're affected in our heart by something that, that, that the that, that peace of Christ rules. And in other emotions, we could talk about joy. We could talk about different emotions that, that govern us. And, and, and you're kind of in a state where you are influenced. But, but those do kind of come and go a little bit. And so the heart has to do with emotion, but not simply emotion. Let me illustrate this in 1 John 3.20. He says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Well, here the heart isn't being passive. I mean, it's a little passive in the sense that, I mean, it's acting, it's condemning, but, but it's, it's acting simply based on a thing that it has as a condition. You, like, we talked about the little voice. And it, I, I referenced the little voice. And, you know, did, did that little voice tell you not to do that to your sister or your brother? Right? That, that you don't control that. It, it's passive in the sense that it, it, it's doing something, but I don't control it. it it's there because it, it just, that feeling came. I needed to do that. And it, it's an existing, continual part of you, that conscience. That's a part of my heart, a part of that inner man uh, that, that we have. It involves an element of my mind, but it, we're going to talk about the mind separately. The heart and the mind are separate, and yet it does, even the heart involves things that have to do with my mind. It involves things that have to do with my emotions. The heart just kind of kicks in. Without me needing to, you know, if you think of your heart, heart, right? It's doing, it's doing an action, right? But you're not going, okay, beat. Shoot, I forgot to tell it to beat. I'm, I'm dead, you know. It, it just, it's active, but it's passive at the same time. We don't think about it. It's just doing what it does. It's a, it's a continual state. And, and so is our conscience. Our conscience is in a continual state. And it, something comes in and says, hey... What's going on here? You probably shouldn't be doing that. It, it just acts. It just does. If, if it's in a proper state. Now, the scripture says sometimes it's not in a proper state. Sometimes it can be seared. And sometimes it loses its effectiveness. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but it's it still, if it's maintained properly, it will work without us having to make it work. And so in that sense, it's passive. But the heart is not merely passive. I want to talk about the active heart as well. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The things I prize, the things I value, and we talked about value, those are my desires. And this is active. This is something that my, my heart, it's not really a thought process. I mean, it's a, it's a result of a thought process. It's not really intellectual. It's a part of my heart. It, it's connected to my emotions. I suppose there's some intellectual activity going on. We are 
not so easily segmented into our different parts, just like we talked about that with God. God is not easily segmented and placed in a nice little box. This is a, a desire, a thing that I train myself sometimes. I train myself to like things. You ever train yourself to like things? We talk about some things I can't train myself to like. Some things I can. I'm going to try it again. If most people, I think probably the most people, the first time they try coffee, they do not like coffee. Like the first time you try coffee, it's like 17 sugars. Okay, I can handle this. This is almost hot cocoa, sort of. You know, it's basically sugar. Some people can't ever get there. But after a while, it's like, okay, oh yeah, oh, I've always loved coffee. No, you haven't. You've always liked sugar. Right? Um, we can train ourselves and we, we train our desires God says train your desires your heart I want all of your heart set on me and this is interesting Matthew chapter 6 verse 20 says lay up for yourself uh, treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasures there real heart. This is the this is the previous, right? This is the previous verse to that. This is the training. This is the training to that. Deliberately doing things so that your heart will be attracted. You ever do this? You ever you ever do a thing where you set something so your heart will be attracted there? Alright. Well, we, we train ourselves all the time for things. If I, if I invest money in it, I'm going to make sure that I do things. Right? Oh, I paid for that. Oh, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I, I go and do that. Because, and then you get, you're, you're training where your heart is. You're training. You're getting invested. But it's also our thoughts. Now, thoughts that we think of as intellectual he says, Behold, some people brought up a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, listen to this, this is interesting. Knowing their thoughts, he said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Now, wait a minute. I could have thought we'd be here if this is the seat of the emotions, because we're confusing. We're, 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 we're a difficult thing. It, we think of, oh, the thoughts are here, my emotions. Well, this is just a blood pumper. This really isn't, this is just a metaphor. It's all up in here. How are thoughts, my mind, and my emotions, or my, my more heart state, how, how are they both? Because they have to be somewhat different. There has to be a, a separation between what God calls mind and heart. Because Jesus says, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. There is somewhere, maybe it's kind of a fuzzy line in between there, but there has to be separate things. So what is the separation? Well... <clears throat> I know you're wondering. There are instances in our life where we make a slave out of a part of our 
a part of ourself, right? Here's a picture of, of an ant enslaving another ant. We can take our, our, our hearts, our desires, can enslave our mind to rationalize or to justify the accomplishment of a desire. And so he says that that rationalizing part of you, which is actually more motivated by your heart than your just simple, factual, intellectual side of you, it's really kind of more connected to, to the emotions. It, it's, and so you have to make sure that the rationalizing part of you is, is it's like your conscience, that it's operating correctly. That, that part that wants to justify things, well, if it's justifying it based on correct principles, then you're, you're good. It's when the heart has got the wrong goal that it's going to force the mind to, to look for explanations that don't lead us to the right thing. And, and so, in that sense, this is kind of more the, the emotions or, or the heart than, than it is the mind. And this is the definition of heart. This is the understanding how the heart operates. But what we want to do is more than that. We want to move our heart a little bit closer. Matthew 15, 8, a quotation of Isaiah. It's one of the more well-known statements. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Sometimes we know what is or what should be by contrast what, with what it is not. Um, we'll hear the phrase organized religion. Oh, organized religion. That's a, that's a bad word. I don't like organized religion. You hear that? People say that. Well, that is, that comes from, it probably comes from a, a observation of an abuse like Isaiah is uh, is observing where, where people were focused on form worship and the, the, the technicalities and what it looked like physically but spiritually there was nothing in it there, there was no heart in it and um and so they reject a lot of it altogether. Right? And that's accurate. Isaiah is not justifying or, or advocating for, you know, just, just forget the together religion and go off in the woods and be you and God. And that's not what Isaiah is advocating. But they were physically compliant with the rules and the regulations, but they were, there was no heart in what they were doing. There was no inner closeness in the relationship with God. I would say, you know, people that, to, to people who say, oh, just me and God and in the woods and all that. I don't know why the woods specifically, but it's always the woods. <laughs> but I would say that you can be closer here. Oh, that's kind of, I think, what Mike was saying. Here you are with the, an amazing scenery. That, that's impressive. 
And you can climb up to the top of that mountain and feel that you're closer to God. But to me, you can only be closer to God when you're around his people. Colossians 2.2 2 says, this is kind of in the middle of a sentence, but he says there, our hearts be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of what God's mystery is, that is Christ. And, and we again see this, this kind of in-between thoughts and, and, and emotions and love. Love is the key. And, and this is referencing that togetherness, which is more kind of the second greatest command, right? Love one another. But the same idea applies to loving from the heart with God as it does with us. And, and, and the relationship between us serves as a great illustration, I think, for what God wants. That close affection. To, to get closer to God, you have to get closer in your affection. You need to start setting those things and, and, and putting Things where you can invest in God to pull your heart there. The more things that we are invested in, in things that take us away to the woods or wherever, the, the, the less I'm with where, where God wants me to with his people, with the remembrance of his death, with all the things that God really wants, this is where I am. As often as you take it, I'm going to be there. Listen, I know where God was today. Right? I know where he's going to be next week. This is having your hearts knit, woven together. That's what God wants. God, God, God wants uh, our hearts woven with him. Hebrews uh, chapter 10 this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put their, my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Again, see the same thing? Bam. Hearts, minds are, are kind of woven themselves. We're going to look at this idea of having my laws on my hearts. Writing it on my mind is one thing. That's a little bit more easy to understand. But on my heart, this goes to the desire. This goes to the concept of it's not a chore I, I want to do this because I want to make God happy I, I'm not looking at, at religion I'm not looking at the formal aspects as a chore oh, got to do that man the heart the laws should be written on my heart as well on my desire Words and conversation may sound religious, but does it penetrate down into, oh, I can defend theology from my mind. That's written on your heart. But do I live like someone who will be judged? Somehow, uh, somehow another oddity, um, you know, you look at that people that Isaiah is talking about. They were probably really nice people. I know we think that they were the worst 
people on the planet. They were probably nice people. And, and somehow, I, I think we have this thing where the, the judgment of whether a person is good or not is whether we could, you know, eat, you know, grilled meat together. Right? You ever, you'll hear people say this all the time. They'd probably be really nice at a barbecue. Why is that? I, I never understood why that is the determining factor for whether someone's good or not. Well, they probably, they can grill meat. Okay, they'd be great at a barbecue. That does not mean they're good people. God's got a little bit of a higher standard than whether they can cook brats. They're nice. They might be really nice. They might be great neighbors. God says, their hearts are far from me, and that's the standard of measurement that he wants. Our last scripture this morning, Hebrews 10.22. He says, let us draw near. Let's get closer in a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. We talked about how we get that conscience back. Sometimes it's hard. How do you get it back? I can't force my conscience to work if it's not working. It's hard to do. I'm not exactly sure I know the answer to this. I guess being deliberate, being very deliberate... And, and trying to take over when you have a, a non-functioning part. The other parts around it have to kind of do for it until it, you know, it, it's healed. And that's how it works physically. If I have a broken arm, it's not going to be doing much. So I, the rest of my body is going to be working it until it's, it's healed and then it can function again. And that's how the conscience is, I think. I think when, when you've broken a conscience... You kind of have to deliberately look at everything you're doing to say, okay, I know this is incorrect. Until the conscience just automatically goes, hey, oh, yeah. Let's get to the end here. And this is what I want to leave you with, is to move forward one space. The last, the last passage we read says, listen, have your heart sprinkled. Having, having been washed, we are all in different places. We're all in different places. In our relationship. We're all together today, but we're all in different places. And some people have not started the journey. And some people are miles down the road. But the point to get closer is to get one step closer. That's closer. And wherever the heart is, it just needs to go forward one step. And that's the beauty of this relationship. And then you look back and go, wow, okay, we've made some progress. Where is your heart at? Where is your desire at? Where is your conscience at? Where's the mind, that, that, that rationalizing part of your heart? Where, where are all these things at? And, and where I'm at are going to be different. 
And maybe one, one of those aspects is really working great, and maybe one of those isn't working great. But our challenge is to move one step closer. And it is as simple as that. Let's stand and sing together.